And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Good morning. We come this morning to our last uh, core value in our summer series on strengthening our core. And we're going to look this morning at uh, what it means to be outward focused. Uh, next Sunday morning, uh, Pastor Bruce will be back uh, delivering God's word to us. And uh, we'll be looking at the first of our uh, Renew Group uh, series. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so already, uh, to sign up for a Renew Group and be a part of uh, where God is leading us as a church as we seek to be renewed by the gospel, as we seek to renew Annapolis, as we are being renewed. And so there are still uh, places where you can, and small groups that you can be a part of that will go through the Renew Group curriculum together. And so we invite you to, to come and to be a part of that. This morning, we're going to look at this last core value that really flows out of our mission and our vision as a church, that if, if you haven't been around for a while, uh, maybe this is your first time here, or uh, perhaps you just uh, haven't caught it yet, which is okay. Our, our vision, our mission is to be seeking the renewal of Annapolis as we are being renewed by the gospel. And sometimes when we come to a, a core value like this and we spend a, a sermon on simply being outward focused, one of the things that can, can frighten us is that, does, and it's a good question, it's a legitimate question, but I want to address it right at the beginning is, if we're going to be outward focused, does this mean that you're going to forget about us as a church, as the people that gather here every Sunday? And the short answer to that is no, absolutely not. Uh, being outward focused doesn't mean that uh, Pastor Dan, as our congregational care pastor, is out of a job after today. It doesn't mean that our elders no longer have to care and love for the the people who are a part of EP Church. Absolutely not. As we are being renewed by the gospel, as we, as God's people, come together and, and worship and grow in Him and are being renewed by the gospel, we feel like that leads to us going out. And so it's not an either-or, it's a both-and. And both of these ideas of, of looking in at ourselves to some degree, but also looking out at the world that is around us, need to be present in, in a healthy church. As I was thinking about this idea of being outward-focused, uh, I saw a public service announcement a, a couple of weeks ago, I think, and I've, I've tried to find it because I wanted to show it because it was so awesome. It was a public service announcement reminding you to look up from your phone when you're walking. And I'm like, I'm sitting there, I'm like, really? You got to have a public service announcement to remember, like, to not do this. But if you've been at the mall, if you've ever, you know, you walk down Main Street, you're hanging around City Dock, you're walking through an airport, you've had that experience where you're just walking along and poof, someone hits you. And you look over at them and they're just, and then all they do is like, move over one and just keep going. And they're looking down. 
Because our natural tendency is to just get focused on the thing that is right in front of us. And that's not true simply of people. That's true of organizations. That's true of churches. That our tendency, if we're not careful, is just to to take our eyes and focus in on ourselves and what we're doing and forget about the rest of the world that's out there. And so this morning I want to uh, think about being outward focused, to take our eyes off of ourselves exclusively and to look at the world that is around us. And as we look at this passage that Scott read just a minute ago, to think through what's our motivation? What is, how do we do that? And how do we pray for that? What's our motivation? If you look with me at verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. There's a lot of things that motivate us, aren't there? Maybe you've never thought about that. I often don't think about that. But there's a lot of things that motivate us in life. There's guilt. There's fear. There's financial reward or financial ruin that motivate us. There's relational reward or relational ruin that motivate us. And all of those things have a tendency to motivate us some, but not fully, not completely. What Jesus is motivated by here is a love for his creation. When Jesus is there and he's looking at the crowds, Jesus has probably, at this point, he has thousands of people who are around him. And he looks out at them, and if, if it were me, and we can all praise the Lord that that's not, this isn't true. If it were me, I would look at the great crowd that was before me and go, I'm doing pretty good. Look at all of these people who are coming to me. Aren't I wonderful? But I want bigger crowds. What's my motivation? My own ego. My own sense of worth being tied to the size of the crowd that has gathered together to hear me. Jesus' motivation isn't himself. Jesus' motivation is because he loves the people that are around him. They are those that he has created. They are image bearers of his. And he looks at them and he has compassion. Why? Because they are helpless Because they are harassed. They're like sheep without a shepherd. In the English, we miss a little bit of the play on words that Jesus is using that the original hearers and readers of this would have understood and seen that Jesus is describing a sheep who has been attacked by a predator. The words um, helpless and harassed are translated flayed, They've been ripped apart by a predator's claw. Their skin has been torn. And it's also literally translated beaten down to where they are unable to get up like sheep without a shepherd. Do you have compassion? 
Do you have a love like Jesus has for the creation that he has made? When you see people in your neighborhood, your schools, your workplace that have believed the lies of this world, they believe them to be true. Do you love them? Do you care for them? Do you have compassion on them? Do you, when you look at them, do you just see somebody who annoys you or somebody that you just shake your head at when they come into the office uh, tomorrow or Tuesday? Because hopefully tomorrow is a day off for you. And you hear their story of how they spent their weekend and you just go, oh my goodness. What are you thinking? And we often turn a deaf ear to that. But Jesus says, do you see that their need? Do you see their longings? Do you see that they hunger and thirst for something to satisfy them? They've believed the lies of the world. That if he who dies with the most toys wins. Or that God God has to accept me because I've done more good than I have done bad. And God has this great big like balance somewhere in heaven that all of my good things are going to outweigh the bad things. And I believe that that's true. Or you believe maybe maybe your friends and your neighbors, your coworkers don't believe that there's a God. Or maybe they do believe that there's a God, but that God would never send anyone to hell, that God is not a God of justice. They can't imagine a God like that. We'll believe so many lies to be true. Do you have compassion? We've seen such an amazing example of compassion in this last week, haven't we? As you've turned on the television, as you've opened up your computers and seen images all over the place of the flooding that has taken place in Houston and Beaumont and Port Arthur and now into Louisiana and so, so many people have been affected by it. It's amazing to see people's motivation for what they've done. Those that have boats that are able to go down those streets, they didn't do it because Fox News was in the boat. They didn't do it because they wanted to be on CNN. They did it because they saw their friends, their neighbors, their fellow Texans, people who were stranded on a roof because the water was in their attic and they had no place to go. And people had compassion on them. Do you see the people, not physically speaking, in our city that are stranded on a roof because of a flood, but do you see people whose lives are hopeless, that they are looking for anything to satisfy them and have compassion because they are image bearers of God, just like you, just like me. Jesus is motivated by compassion, by love, And I believe that's our motivation to to reach out to those that don't yet know Jesus because we long for them to know Him. We long for them to be satisfied and to be fed so that they no longer hunger and thirst again.
It's not just enough, though, for us to have compassion, to, to watch images on television and just go, you know, that's, that's too bad. I feel bad for those folks. It calls us as a church to go. Look with me at verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. There's three things that I want us to to draw out real quick from, from this verse. One is that Jesus went. Jesus went. Jesus had a huge crowd around him. Everywhere he went... He had huge crowds. Sometimes it was new folks that showed up. And other times it was folks that, hey, we were on the other side of the lake with him yesterday and he fed 5,000 men plus women and children, which was probably another 5,000 or more. And so they follow Jesus. And Jesus could have very easily just kind of stood in Jerusalem and said, here I am, I'll come. And people would have come. But what did Jesus do? He went. He went out. And I think that's important for us to realize that as a church, God is calling us to go. To go into our city. To go into our neighborhoods. To go into our community. To go into our state and our country. And to take the gospel It's not enough for us to sit here at at EP, at the corner of Wilson and Ridgely, and to say, here we are. We have the words of life, community. We're going to put up a banner. Please come. Because in today's age, they're not coming. Those that don't yet know Jesus, who are hurting and are struggling in life, more and more in our culture are not looking to the church to have that question or that longing answered. It worked for a long, long time for the church to say, here we are, come to us. It worked. But it doesn't work anymore. Not in our day. Not in our culture And it's going to cause us to have to rethink what does it mean to be outward focused. And a big part of what that means is that you and I have to go. To leave here and to go into our schools, to go into our workplaces, our neighborhoods, wherever God has planted you to share the gospel. Jesus went, I think Matthew says this intentionally, Jesus went to every town and village. Oftentimes we think the places that we feel God has called us to go might be too small. Maybe the place God has called us to go is simply to the playground in our neighborhood where we've taken our young kids to go and to play and we met another young mom or dad who is there and we just struck up a relationship And we end up going there all the time. We cross paths with them. And if that's all that God has called you to at this point in your life, that's wonderful. Rejoice at that. 
Sometimes we can put such a, an onus and such a, a look of admiration on those that God has called to go out to reach tens and hundreds and thousands and to think, wow, they're, they're doing more work for the kingdom than I am. Jesus went to every town and village. He went to places that were tiny. He went to places where Jews actually weren't supposed to even go. And he went to big cities. And he proclaimed the kingdom. And he healed all their diseases. And he healed all their needs. We're to go. We're to go to places that are great and places that are small. Because we love the people around us. We love our city. We love the Lord who has loved us. And we go with the gospel and with seeking to meet the needs of the people. Jesus went and he healed all their diseases. And if you might be thinking, whoa, he's going to tell us to start healing. No, I'm not. Um, we, we in, in our power, we don't have that ability. But we do have the ability to take care of needs of people. Whether they be physical needs because if you've, if you've been around Annapolis long enough, you know it floods here. There's lots of physical needs, not just with flooding, but with all kinds of things. Or it might be a relational need, that that mom or dad that you met on the playground just needs somebody to cry with, because life is hard. And you and I have the opportunity and the privilege to not just present the gospel, but to, to say it in word and in deed. And those have to be a both and. It can't be either one or the other. We can't simply take our... Imagine if you're, you're in Houston and you're going down a, a, a road that's now a river in your boat and you see someone up on the roof and you just yell at them, Jesus loves you! You need to repent! and move on to the next one. The person on the roof, I don't know what their reaction would be. If it would be me, I might pray an imprecatory prayer. Lord, may you put a hole in that boat. I know I need Jesus, but I also need to get off my roof. We need to present the gospel. We need to take care of people's physical needs. It's not just enough to go into a home and, Lord willing, we'll, we hope to put some trips together to go and to partner with some of our fellow churches down in, in Houston in that area in the next year or two because this is going to be a long effort to recover. It's not just enough to go into their houses and muck it out and say, well, there you go, see you later. We do need to do that. We're called to that. We're called to both, to care for their needs and to proclaim the gospel because it meets our greatest need, our need for Jesus. We're called to go, to go wherever God has called you, great or small, and to proclaim the gospel. And I don't have a formula for like, well, how much word, how much, de- I don't, that, the spirit will guide you. 
It guides me and will lead us in that so that Christ might be glorified and that he might be exalted. So our motivation is because we love those around us. We love God and his world. We want to go to all the cities and villages, to places great and small. And we also want to pray. Verse 37 Jesus says to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Matthew is setting up the next chapter where the disciples are kind of named and he goes through, here's who these guys are, and then they go out on their first mission trip. And Matthew is setting that scene by Jesus saying, pray, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest field. Because as Jesus looks around and he sees the, the masses, he sees those who have been beaten and flayed like sheep without a shepherd and he has compassion. He says, pray that God would send people to go to those who don't yet know Jesus, that they would have a love for them and a care for them. Pray that the Lord of the harvest might raise up the church who would go. And when we say that, oftentimes, and even I hear that, I'm thinking, that just sounds so ambiguous. Like, just pray that the Lord would send people into the harvest. I want to help us maybe wrap our minds a little bit more around something that's specific that we can pray for. I want us as a church to pray for 99 and 1. To pray for 99 and 1. 99% of EP would go out into local missions. Pray that God would raise up 99% of EP who would look at their neighbors as Christ looks at us and that we would hear Jesus' prayer to go into the harvest field. If you have your your worship guide, um, make sure it's in here. Okay, on page 5 of your worship guide uh, where the outline of this message is, If you look at the words at the top, we move out into the world proclaiming the gospel in word and deed to ourselves, our community, and to others in all parts of the world. Hear this next sentence. Every person at EP is a minister and a missionary. Pastor, you must be talking about the people down there in the pew. No, I'm talking about you. Every person at EP is a minister and a missionary. And I am challenging us as a church to pray that 99% of us would pray that and realize that is true of us and move us into missions here in our own community. You say, well, okay, well, what about the 1%? Do we get like, I'll be the 1% because that means I'm off the hook. No, you're not. Pray that 1% of EP would go into foreign missions. 
A couple of years ago, our mission agency with the PCA, it's called Mission to the World, began a uh, campaign because they were looking at the fact that there are more missionaries retiring than there are new missionaries going to the field. And the mission force around the world, not just in the PCA, but across all denominations, the mission force is shrinking. And so they began to think and to pray, what is God leading us to? And they began a campaign called Pray for One. Pray for 1%. Pray that God would raise up 1% of every local PCA congregation to go into foreign missions. I've got, uh, it's about a minute and 40 second video that I want us to watch that challenges us to think about that, that encourages us to think what would the world look like if that were to happen? What could happen if every PCA church pledged 1% of their members to missions? How would the world change? How many unreached people groups would hear the gospel? How many new churches would be planted? 287,746 PCA members times 1% equals 2,877 new missionaries. God can do this. If God prompted every PCA church to pledge 1% of their members, we could send more than 2,800 workers across the globe. Pray for 1%. He works through the prayers of his people. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 14, 13. Pray that God would bring your church members forward to be part of the 1%. We are ready to help with questions and guide next steps. Email go at ntw.org. I'm Lloyd Kim, coordinator of Mission to the World. We're challenging the church to send, and we're calling people to go. Go and make disciples of all nations. The challenge to mobilize your sons and daughters, your brothers and sisters to go and serve Christ through any agency or organization. Certainly, we would love to help, but this is not about us. We just want you to go. Are you one? You have to be careful what you pray for. Because you don't know if God's going to call you. But we feel as a family that God has called us to be the first of hopefully many, many more of 1% of EP who would go. The, the Lord has laid on our heart as a family a great love for the country of Scotland, a love for the people of Scotland. And he has called us and confirmed us evaluated us a lot, and we have been invited to go, to go and to take the good news of Jesus to a place that we love. We love you, we love Annapolis, but we feel that God has called us to go. And my hope and my prayer is that more of you would go, 
We can take the picture down now because I don't know why. I just get, I don't know, I just, it's just kind of fun. That picture is us. It's a family a couple of weeks ago in Edinburgh where we hope and pray the Lord will, uh, and we feel like, and they, the Free Church of Scotland feels like that uh, we could be of some use to their ministry. Uh, we are, we're not leaving yet. We've got probably about a year to go. Uh, before the Lord, um, if the Lord provides what we need as far as financial and partners and prayer partners for us to be able to go. We'll get to more of that in the months ahead. But this morning, I just want to challenge you as a church, as God has challenged us as a family, will you go? Will you pray for 99? Will you pray for one And you think, but I'm not a pastor like you. I didn't go to seminary like you. I didn't, I don't have the ability to get up in front of people and to talk like, like you do. Doesn't matter. God doesn't simply use ordained people. God doesn't simply use, uh, folks that have an education. God uses all of us with educations that are much more thorough than mine will ever be. And maybe you're not as formally educated as others. It doesn't matter. God calls all of us to minister in His name. And all you have to do is point people to Jesus. I want to tell you a quick story and then we'll come to the Lord's table. Stories about a, a, a pastor friend of mine. His name is Jean-Francois Leroux III. And as you might be able to guess, uh, he is from uh, the south coast of Mississippi, the Gulf Coast, <laughs> Mississippi. And he speaks French and he was born and raised Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. And Jean Leroux is one of the best preachers I've ever heard in my life. He was offered the senior pastor role at one of the largest churches in our denomination. And that same week, Hurricane Katrina hit. And if you aren't familiar with your southern Mississippi geography, Bay St. Louis is right on the coast. It was the epicenter of where Hurricane Katrina hit, The first three miles in from the coast weren't flooded. They were destroyed. Everything from three miles to about 20 miles inland was flooded. And this church said, John, we want you to become our pastor. And he turned him down. He said, because I've got to go home. I've got to go to the city that I was born and raised in. I lost family members there in this storm And my heart is to proclaim the gospel and to plant a church in the heart of that devastation. And so he left his family and where he was in Tennessee. And he and a couple of other guys, they went and they lived in a tent on the ground for months. Just beginning the recovery efforts with a goal of planting a church that still exists today. And he said every day we would get up, no heat or no electricity, lots of heat, no electricity, no running water. We slept on the ground. We had three meals a day. Every meal was the same. Bottled water, canned tuna, potato chips. 
Occasionally you got an apple. But we ate that three meals a day, every day, because that was all that you had. And so you'd get up, you'd go muck out houses, there's no electricity, it's hot, you sweat, you go back, you lay down in your tent, you open up your can of tuna, mmm, delicious. And then the next day you get up and you do the same thing and you hear people's stories of how they survived the storm. And he said one day, about a month into this routine, we were walking down the street and there was a gentleman walking the other way towards us that had a styrofoam container and they kind of formed a line in the, in the sidewalk and said, what is that? And the gentleman, all he did was open it up and he said there was roast beef, mashed potatoes, green beans, a yeast roll with butter. And the butter was melted, dripping down the sides, and you could smell it as the steam rose from it. And he said, I was looking down at the food, and then I looked up at him, and I said, where? And he just pointed the direction where he had come from, and he said, the Baptists are feeding people. And we ran and were fed. C.S. Lewis said, a missionary is simply this, a beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. You don't have to have a fancy degree, a diploma on the wall. You simply have to be a beggar who has been given the bread of life in Jesus. And you can point other beggars to him. That is our calling to open up Jesus in our own lives so that they smell the aroma of Jesus and they just ask, where? Let me show you Jesus. Can I walk with you to him? I'm just a beggar wanting to tell other beggars where I found bread. And in reality, the bread found me. So are you. We come to this table as beggars who have been given the bread of life, who have been given Jesus, his body broken for us, his blood spilled out for us so that we could be filled and satisfied in him. Let me pray for us as the elders come and prepare the table for us to partake. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you found a beggar like me and a beggar like my brothers and sisters here. And you gave us the bread of life. Father, I would pray that you might... Lead us and encourage us as a church. Lord, send us out. Fill us with your gospel. Renew us in the truth of your word and who you are. Father, out of the overflow of our hearts, may we go to our city, to our neighborhoods. And Lord, I would even dare to pray that there might be some who would go to the ends of the earth to take the gospel forward so that Christ might be made known. In Jesus' name.
Amen.